I have a lot of church hurt. I was raised Baptist in a small town in Iowa. So honestly, I just, <laughs> people don't believe me when I say this, but I didn't know women could be homosexuals until I went to college. Hey, it's me, Chance, and you're listening to our chat with Ricky's Aunt Lisa, affectionately known as Froggy, about her life growing up as a closeted lesbian in a rural area, becoming Buddhist following the teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh, and eventually marrying a Christian minister. We have a great discussion, including what it's like to be a lesbian couple leading a Christian congregation in Fort Worth, Texas. If you enjoy this conversation, stay tuned next week where we'll be talking to some family friends of mine, a husband and wife in Washington State. The husband is a Lutheran pastor, and together they have a beautiful family consisting of three kids, the oldest of whom is bisexual and the middle child being trans. What have been the obstacles, conflicts, and growing pains this progressive family has endured while leading a congregation? I really don't ask very much from our listeners, except that if you like what you hear and want to support the types of conversations we have, please just follow us on iTunes and soon on Spotify and rate and review us. Visit punk-journalism.com where you'll find all of our content in one spot and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Uh, I've got with me my Aunt Lisa November, who we will all call Froggy because that's how I know her. I love her because she's always been a big supporter of me. She's always kind of been that person that's just, yeah, go do what you want. You know, go have fun and be positive and be happy. And she's always just really understood me as me. Um, But in return, she's also required that we kind of understand her as her. I'll let her do a little bit of introduction about herself, but mainly today what we're going to be talking about with her is uh, her spirituality. She's one of the only uh, practicing uh, Tich Nick Han. Is that right, Froggy? You're pretty close there. That was pretty good. Tick not Han, but oh. you can just call him. Yeah. Tick. Just call him Tick? Okay. Or Ty. That's easy because that rhymes with Rick. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, she's, uh, she practices his applied Buddhism. And um, she's gone through a lot of life stuff um, from her son dying to uh, being married to a Christian minister. Um, So a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about uh, through the heat of her Texas summer. Oh, you're in Texas? I am. (laughs) I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah. Pretty toasty. So pretty toasty. Yeah. 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 It's pretty so anyway, we'll red. get started um, with the first question. Uh, Froggy, if you could just go ahead and uh, introduce yourself real quick. Sure. Yes. As Ricky said, I am Lisa November, Lisa Morrison November, and Ricky's aunt, one of the most important roles in my life. Um, I am a parent as well to two children, Benjamin and Hannah. Benjamin is deceased. He Uh, passed on in 2014, and my daughter Hannah is 29 years old. I am an educator, a teacher. Um, I still am teaching. I teach at the University of Colorado Denver online, and um, I taught for 25 years in Jefferson County, Colorado. Um, When I got a divorce and when I was coming out as a lesbian in the late, in 97 maybe, um, that's when I found the teachings and writings of Thich Nhat Hanh. And every other year, he was coming to Colorado at that time to um, Boulder and the Nestus Park for a week-long retreat. And um, 
um, I started reading his books and kind of following him. Um, and then I got much more serious um, after my son passed on in 2014. And um, in 2016, maybe, I started pursuing what's called the 14 mindfulness trainings or to be ordained in the order of Thich Nhat Hanh, the order of interbeing. So um, two years ago, I was ordained by taking the transmission of the 14 mindfulness trainings at one of Thai's uh, monasteries um, in, actually it was in Mississippi, near Batesville, Mississippi. It's called Magnolia Grove. Um, so that's sort of my intro. Thanks. Yeah. So is your, are, so are you currently involved with anybody right now? Um, yes. I'm married to Leanne Bryce. Okay. And uh, is she the minister? Who- she is a minister okay. in the United Church of Christ. Um, if you think of congregational churches, those are all in UCC for short. And okay. so obviously a very um, liberal, progressive branch of Christianity. Um, they have a long history of, they were kind of like, you know, hand in hand with the Quakers for um, freeing the slaves. They okay. were... Um, the congregational churches were the first to ordain women back in the 1870s, maybe. Um, you know, you could always interview Leanne, too, sometime. Yeah. She would be happy to, to speak to you all about her journey as well as um, as a UCC minister, as an out lesbian, and um, what that has been like, too. So, And did you say yeah. that, that you also practice within that community too or you stick within the the uh thai is that thai you can call him thai it's thai. vietnamese for teacher okay so yeah it's easier than saying Thich Nhat han every time or okay. trying to remember what his name is sure yeah. um and, yeah. and, that, and that is a sect of buddhism right it is it's okay his buddhism um like ricky said it's a called applied buddhism or engaged buddhism and it actually started He started that back in the 50s, 60s, when he was still in Vietnam. He he actually got, you know, kicked out of Vietnam and and didn't go back for many, many years because he refused to take a side in the the war in Vietnam, which which they call the American War. uh, Right, we call it a conflict. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so the way we practice, Leanne also practices with the Sangha. So Sangha is um, just the Buddhist word for community. Um, so she practices with our Sangha. And then I go to her church on Sunday as well. And in fact, you know, up until the pandemic, the Sangha met at her church. Um, and we just, in February, actually, we did a retreat with... Um, a Dharma teacher in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh that was called Jesus and Buddha as brothers. So that was fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so did you say that it, from the sounds of it, you each kind of have your primary school of thought or religion, but you, you each kind of dabble in each other's um, practices. Um, yeah. I would say that I practice Buddhism and my tradition, my root religion is Christianity. Okay. Um, and it took me a long time to get there with Christianity. Certainly, um, I have a lot of church hurt. I was raised Baptist in a small town in Iowa. So 
honestly, I just, <laughs> people don't believe me when I say this, but I didn't know women could be homosexuals until I went to college. Oh, wow. Like you didn't think I, that they were allowed to or that it was possible? I just didn't think that that was a group of people. I, I had heard my, I'd heard like some kind of hushed talking about homosexuals, you know, but I thought that only applied to men. Yeah. It was yeah. just, you were just never exposed to it. Exactly. Exactly. Even the word lesbian, I don't and, think and, I've ever even heard. And, and, and to be honest, I think in a lot of those small towns like that, that's by design that you not be exposed to that. So exactly, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a subconscious design, but yeah. Right. Right. You didn't talk about it in polite mm -hmm. society back, you know, I was born in, in 1959. So that gives you an idea of of my time period as well. Did you have any, any sort of, um, feelings of that persuasion at that time, even though that you didn't even know that there was a lesbian community or let alone what the word was, did you know that you had an attraction for women? Yeah. Yeah. Reflecting back, I was like totally in love with my Barbie doll. <laughs> like not, <laughs> not the way other little girls were. And then I played sports, you know, so yeah, there's another pink flag. Okay, and then flag. Um, I played basketball all through high school and I would just like dread locker room time because I just like felt like I just had to keep my eyes straight forward and just like get in there and get out of there as fast as I could that, you know, I was like, there was something wrong with me. I didn't know what it was, but something was wrong. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's. Yeah. That well, was, I'm glad that you over, over, over the years were able to recognize that you could safely identify with that. And, and maybe it wasn't safe at first. Maybe it was, you know, were you met with some uh, opposition or, or some hostility when you did originally come out? <laughs> yeah, Ricky can speak to this, too. He was there. Actually, Ricky was the yeah. first person in our family that just came out and asked me about it. Like, hey, Aunt Froggy, I noticed you're wearing like ra a rainbow earring. <laughs> Sounds like Ricky yeah, would be one yeah. of the first people to ask about that. Well, you know, I've always been one for tact. And mildness and yeah. subtlety. Yeah. 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 So I very subtly and very mildly uh, approached my aunt and said, Hey, I see you're wearing this, this rainbow earring. Are you gay? Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, like the, like the most suave of people do. So is that Actually, how you came I'm, out to your family was from Ricky? I really appreciated that, Ricky. I really did looking back on it. I'm Good. sorry, what did you say, Chance? Was uh, was that like the catalyst that had you come out to your family? Was Ricky asking that? Um, no, like I, I came out to like each member of my family sort of independently. Um, I was a real uh, chicken, so I did it with my folks, you know, on the phone and they told me that I was not that, that I was, I was not a homosexual oh. in their words. Okay. Um, you know, and I was like 35, so I, I think I kind of knew by then. I mean, I had been married to a man, obviously, and had my two children, and coming out was, it was really hard because it was the end of that marriage, but actually my ex-husband and I are are pretty good friends. You know, we talk, and and um, things are cool now, and um, I mean, he understood early on. He, he understood better probably than my um nuclear little family of origin mm -hmm. um 
Ricky's other aunt, my sister, we, we still don't see eye to eye on it. And, um, Ricky's dad, my brother, um, you know, he and I are great. We're fine. We're, we're good with it. Yeah. So, and, um, so even though I just want to say one thing, really. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, even though grandma and grandpa, uh, my, my grandparents told Froggy that she wasn't a lesbian, that she wasn't homosexual, uh, after when Froggy got married, uh, my grandma was there and supportive, and uh, yep. That's so that's awesome. one of the things that I've that that I've really come to appreciate about you coming out is how it kind of took everybody's minds and just opened them a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. It just kind of put that little crowbar in there and just 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 squeezed us just a little bit enough to to get us to say, well, you know. Um, I know this person and this person is one of, is, is, is homosexual and that doesn't make her bad, you know? So made us think a little bit about those kind of lines and those kind of things. Whereas maybe we wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. It made it a lot more personal for you. Humanizing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, right. and I'm sorry, what did you say your name, your uh, partner's name was again? It's Leanne. Leanne. I, mm-hmm. So I was, I'm curious how ha- have each of you, and I'm sure each of you have different stories because you, it seems like maybe you kind of found each other through your spiritual practices or religious practices. Um, what kind of things did each of you kind of have to reconcile within Christianity to, to feel comfortable still being within that community and finding an, an area or a niche that you felt like you could belong and, and, and be yourselves comfortably. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, um, going to a progressive church, like, uh, um, so, like I said, raised, raised Baptist, small town in Iowa, and then, um, actually, my ex-husband was Jewish, so didn't, didn't go to church when I was married to him, and then I found, um, actually, the United Church of Broomfield, in Broomfield, Colorado, is a UCC church, and that's where, um, Leanne was, she was going to ILIF at the time, ILIF School of Theology in Denver. And um, that was the first church where they were like, well, why don't you join and be a member? We're open and affirming, it's called ONA. And we not not only are open to, you know, the LGBTQIA, um, <laughs> all the alphabet, we are affirming <laughs> of them. It's like, beyond tolerant, you know, like yeah. you can tolerate a lot of stuff. You can, you can tolerate a toothache or a broken right. arm, but, but mm-hmm. to, ex, to like celebrate that person for it. So yeah. I started, I started going to that church and um, I, I still remember when they asked me to join and I said, well, you know, I'm not really sure about my buy-in uh, that Jesus died for my sins. And they were like, Oh, that's okay. You don't need to believe that to belong to this church. You know, it's, we like to question here. So I figured, well, okay, that's it for me that I can do that kind Mm -hmm. of a church. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. I just wanted to, I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think Chris has a question. Oh, that's a Ricky. (laughs) You're amazing. (laughs) You're killing it. Your first, your first lead on the podcast. You're killing it. Uh, So, so, I just wanted to, so I, I kind of get the feeling that in Fort Worth, Texas, you're not really surrounded by a lot of allies. Um, you kind of feel like you're in the middle of, 
you know, hostile uh, a, a pretty a pretty red area. I, although you know your more populated areas tend to be more progressive and liberal. Uh, but but how did you guys find yourselves? You know, um, you know, a lesbian Buddhist and a lesbian Christian minister in you know, like the heart of you know <laughs> a, a, a state that kind of rebels against everything you guys stand for. <laughs> right. It just doesn't seem to fit, does it? But um, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> strangely, it does. Uh, well. Leanne, my wife, grew up in Arlington, Texas. So, um, and we actually lived in Rochester, New York before we moved here. She was serving a church there in Rochester. So, yeah, we moved from New York to Fort Worth, Texas. Um, for her, it was really important to come home um, and claim who she is because um, I don't, and she would have to speak for herself, but I think I'm okay in saying this. Um, that when she left Texas, um, she had not reconciled with her family, with anyone in her family, and um, left very wounded um, by what the church and her family did to her at that time. So in a way, it was for her sort of reclaiming that and coming back to Texas. And the other thing is, in the United Church of Christ, they don't, you know how some denominations, they, the top uh, leaders, whatever, tell tell the ministers where to go, but it's not like that. In UCC, um, the churches themselves pick the ministers. So this church like interviewed us. They interviewed both of us, and they wanted us, and we were like, "Yeah, let's go make a difference in Fort Worth, Texas." What the hell? <laughs> I I love that. I to me to me that's that's amazing because you sit here and and that's. To me, that was a valid question. Like, how do you end up in the middle middle of that? But how do you push uh, for change? How do you, uh, on one of our episodes, I called it that punk mentality of pushing, uh, pushing back the on, on these agendas where people are getting in your face. And if you can get into an, a community that maybe doesn't understand it and you can humanize, they can meet you and they can see you and they can put a face to it. Because I feel like that's the biggest thing is, you were never exposed to lesbians in, a, in your town growing up. And, and, and there's good, I said that's by design because there's good reason for that. There's good reason because these, uh, a lot of these Christians in the Bible belt, they don't want that stuff in their kid's face because they don't want their kids to know that that's an option. They want their kids to think that there's something horribly wrong with them. They even think that way and they want to keep it away from them. But if you can humanize it and they can meet somebody and they can say, wow, this is a great person. Like I'm, you know, I, I can see you, you don't have horns sticking out and a devil tongue, you know, like trying to eat my children, like, you know, like they can humanize it. And I feel like that's a perfect reason to end up in a place like that. Yeah. Well, and I think, well, and, and I wanted to talk a little bit, sure. brag on my aunt a little bit, both my aunts, my aunt and my, uh, aunt-in-law. I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> I, I'm not to the family things. Um, they go and they do a good amount of, sticking up for women's rights and for freedom of speech, for freedom of religion, that kind of stuff. I think I even remember some pictures on Facebook of Leanne getting up in Ted Cruz's face. Nice. And having oh, that a was me, Rick. With him. That, so, was oh, me. that was you. That was oh, me, dude. Yes. That was yeah. me face-to-face with Ted Cruz holding his slimy little hand. Yeah, well, he's such I a mean, creep. Froggy, you just became a personal <laughs> hero of mine. <laughs> oh, Thanks, man. Chris. <laughs> That, that's um, yeah, awesome. You know, and it's it's hard at times, really. It is. It, it was much easier um, living, you know, in Boulder County, Colorado, to right. be 
open and progressive and liberal and all those things. Um, um, one of the, it's been so hard for me, but the neighbor across the street still has all of his Trump stuff out. And now, you know, it's like, stop the, the bull, you know what, uh, Trump. Stop the steal. Yeah. No more bullshit. You can say yep, shit. Yep. And just say no to creepy Joe. He still has that, that, uh thing up so i, I saw i saw i'm I, this is a perfect place for me to say this i saw a bumper sticker while driving the other day that said get rid of joe and the hoe and i'm just mm-hmm. like oh, so blown away yeah. that they're like like that's just what like let's attack the woman like right yeah what yeah, makes her so yeah, just immediately she's right out the gate like let's Can attack the first sexism right there female yeah. vice president hey yeah. and I, in fact there's a uh and I, I'm sorry to get off track here, but there's a, a retired command chief of the Colorado Air National Guard whose Facebook page is just littered with that. And his his profile picture says, like, get rid of Joe and his hoe or something. I know it, it's like, atrocious. yeah, and, and it's like this guy is somebody who up until he retired a couple of years ago was elite or he was the highest enlisted position in Colorado. And this is the kind of stuff that he flagrantly puts on his Facebook page. It's like what kind of of a leader you know was he but anyway digress yeah yeah so here's where my practice comes in and i'm gonna try and explain this to you the best i can so Tiknat han is all about social justice and all about um taking a stand but also not um subscribing to rigid dogma you know that we always we always can learn. We always can practice really deep listening and um, and really heartfelt speaking. So um, <laughs> so it, it is hard for me to look across the street and it's and at this particular neighbor and to be like um, you know you are me and I am you. Um, that's another another very important practice in engaged Buddhism is the idea of interbeing. It's based on uh, the, the Buddhist scriptures of interdependent co-arising. I don't know if you've heard of that, uh-uh. but Thich Nhat Hanh kind of uh, put it into interbeing. So, so nothing can be independently on its own. So even things that are empty aren't empty. They're full of something. They're full of air. You know, it's not the glass is half full. It's, it's the glass is full and empty at the same time. It, we are all empty of a separate self. So my neighbor, I need to I work on seeing his humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's one thing. Like, he has a truck parked in front of his house, and the tire just gets, it goes flat, like, about every seven days and and I was gonna you know call the city and pay him back because he's a jerk with that flag in his yard and you know get that get him in trouble with the city and um instead what I did was I saw him out one day and you know I took a deep breath and sort of channeled my inner Thich Nhat Hanh and went over there and said hey um did did you realize that your front tire is you know, completely flat on this truck. And he, and he was like, Oh yeah, yeah. You know, my, um, 
my knee isn't so good and, you know, I'm an ex-serviceman and um, I did have a knee replacement and my, my son's coming over and he's going to fix that tire for me. I'm like, oh, all right, dude, you know, okay. And so we had the civil conversation. So, you know, even though part of me definitely like wants to run over there and just like take his flight down and burn it and knock over the creepy Joe sign and all that. Um, Another part of me has connected with him and I see that I enter in with him. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And that's actually a conversation that we've had amongst the three of us a few times where I I've talked about how a resolution that I, I try to make for myself is to try to approach people with less aggression and and not trying to create conflict, but with more just of a general curiosity of who you are, what your background is, and what's led you to these beliefs. Because, I mean, not everybody is responsible for the things that they do and they say, but I think to a certain degree, like our circumstances and our our environment shapes who we are, and that kind of makes it like you were saying more makes it so you can relate to or, or sympathize or empathize with people a lot more. So, you know, and, and when you take that approach, I think when you're, when somebody says something that goes against your values and you say, you know, well, why do you believe that? And you just try to have a conversation out of curiosity, you're putting them in the hot seat as opposed to when you come at them, like, well, what are you a fucking idiot? Like, what is that? then that puts you in the hot seat because you have to defend why you're being aggressive towards them, you know? Um, yeah. And you telling that story reminded me of a while back, the house I live in right now, actually, my roommates are both, you know, pretty straight-laced conservative Christian guys. And one time, uh, we're just, this is after I moved in here and I was having a conversation with them and we were talking about going into some department store and uh, one of them was like, yeah, you know, I went in there one time, but I, I felt really uncomfortable because the the sales associate was a little light in the loafers. And like immediately I started feeling my blood boil. Like I just wanted to be like, what did he like grab your cock? Like what what was your problem? Like what did he do to you? <laughs> so I took it I just took a breath. I went in my room, I shut the door, and then about an hour later I was just like, Hey man, like I wanna I think you're a good guy. So I just want to tell you, like, this is where I'm coming from. Like, I'm about as far removed from conservative as, as you can get. Like, I have a lot of my very close fa- family members and friends are, are in that community. So I just didn't understand why you had to frame it like that. And he was like, yeah, you know, as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was I was wondering why I even said that. So I'm glad that you you made me aware of that. And and it's like I, I was proud of that moment because maybe from that point forward that influences him to think of things and say things in a different way, as opposed to if I did come at him with aggression, he's just going to dig his heels in even harder and be more regressive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of aggression is only going to push people further along the path that you don't want, which is one of the reasons why America is becoming more polarized. It's because, you know the extreme, the liberals, the uh, the far left is super aggressive towards the right, and yep. the right is super aggressive towards the left, and neither one of them has any kind of humanizing force, so we don't work together. What's well, a cultural it's ego the too? Battle of or of them, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's a collective ego too. That's one fighting sure. the other. Yeah, and it, it's you know I. 
growing up, um, you know, we said uh, the F-A-G-G-O-T word all the time, dude, right? Like right. we used yeah. to call each other that all the time. And it was just one of those things that you just threw around and you didn't think about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's as much as I would love to say that I've always had been on the correct side of this issue. Like I haven't been like sure. I was a conservative Christian for a long time. And, and it took a lot of deconstructing things uh, in, in my mind that were harmful from growing up. But but my biggest one was, you know, a, a guy that I was in the Marine Corps with and I was very close with. Uh, I mean, just like I considered him my brother. uh his name was Gil and he was really close brother of mine. I didn't find out until after we were out of the Marine Corps a couple of years that he was actually gay. And that hit me like really hard there for a while. Like, uh, you know, in that mindset. And then, um, also, you know, working with a guy that was gay and he was gay during, uh, the sixties and seventies. And that was a time when being a homosexual wasn't just like frowned upon by people in the church. It was like, you they were openly hostile towards you. And, um, you know, he said, you know, if, if, why would I choose this knowing that I could be killed for it? And, mm-hmm. and like, right. that's a great question to anybody, to anybody that, that really logically thinks that question through, why would you be a homosexual? Why would you choose that if it's a choice during a time when people are being killed and you have to do it underground? And that's, you know, Anytime you you put a question on that logical type of level, like that completely changed my mind. And I'm so anti-Christianity uh, and that whole anti-homosexual homo, vibe now, but I can't say that I've always been in that camp. I, I'm saying that there's that being enlightened is what needs to happen uh, mm-hmm. with these people, and that's done in different ways. But uh, it's not to, people can change, and they can see the error of their ways. And and sometimes it takes the horrible things. It usually does take a horrible thing to be the catalyst for change to occur. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder if uh, Froggy, if you're familiar with an author named Dwayne Bidwell. I interviewed him about a year and a half ago on the podcast. He wrote a book called. When One Religion Isn't Enough, The Lives of Spiritually Fluid People. And he's a Protestant minister and a PhD, and uh, but he's also a Buddhist. He, uh, he says in his book, I'm a Buddhist and a Christian. Jesus is my savior and Buddha is my teacher. And he points, he, he kind of distinguishes the two and says that Jesus's teachings are metaphors and, and seem very abstract, while the Buddha is very coherent and much more direct saying that he has an admiration for God and a relationship with Buddha. So I wonder, yeah, I wonder if, if that's, it sounds like that would be some, somebody that you and Leanne would, would, would connect with and, and have some familiarity. Yeah, I was with. actually going to, I was actually going to bring this up too. That's a good question. Yeah, totally chance. In fact, um, the other day when Leanne and I were driving in the car, we listened to that podcast of yours. Oh, right cool. And we ordered the book. Based nice. Off the book. Sweet. So, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot in common there. And I think he was Presbyterian, right? Yeah, actually, I think you're right. Yep. And yeah, yeah. I mean, so much of it resonated with me. Um, and um, in 2008, um, Leanne and I went to Plum Village, France, which is where um, Thich Nhat Hanh's root monastery is now. Since he was exiled from Vietnam, he settled in France. And... Um, um, there during, during a Dharma talk, that's 
what it's called, you know, when, when one of the teachers talks. So, so Ty was talking and he was talking about, um, you know, he's, he said, we're not here to proselytize you. We're not here to have you turn your back on Christianity and become a Buddhist. He said, it's important to respect your traditions and to find the beauty in Christianity because there is a lot of wonderful things in Christianity. Um, and, and kind of incorporate that into into who you are now. He said, being practicing like a Buddhist will actually make you a better Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I don't think that anything has to be exclusive. And that's, I guess, always been my biggest problem with religion is, is why do we have to just resign ourselves to the idea that one school of thought is, is it like, this I'm going to, I'm going to subscribe to this one. Not only that, I'm going to, I'm not only going to subscribe to Christianity. I'm going to subscribe to a, an even smaller niche within Christianity and maybe even a, a smaller niche in, in that. And we're the only ones who got it right. We're the only ones who understand and maybe even we're the only ones who are going to heaven or an afterlife. And so, right. yeah. And so that I guess is like where I differentiate spirituality from religion. And mm-hmm. uh, there's, there are some people that I know who, Whenever I have any sort of like a a philosophical discussion about religion or Christianity with them, it, it's kind of like the be all end all is is the Bible for them. And if it's in the Bible and they can quote a passage from the Bible, it's like there's your mic drop and that's it. That's all I gotta respond <laughs> with. And and I think just personally, I think that that is the difference between religion and spirituality, where it's like a a religion is kind of you going to, and I made this comparison or I made this, um, this metaphor with the podcast you reference. Like you, you speak to somebody who tells you this is an orange, this is what it tastes like, feels like, and looks like, and you mm-hmm. take his word for it and you say, well, I guess that's what an orange is. Cause that's what somebody told me. But spirituality on the other hand is you go out and you have your own lived experiences and create your own reality. And you pick an apple and you're like, well, this is round and sweet and juicy. Maybe it's an orange. And then you kind of, you just ex- experience more and more and more until you, you can kind of create your own sort of, you have a, from your culmination of, of experiences, it's like you have a better intuition of the direction that you should go spiritually as opposed to just being so adherent to um, maybe the restrictions or the boundaries that are within religion and religious texts. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, yeah. And I guess, I guess that's where I, I was thinking of that when you mentioned about uh, your uh, Leanne's church and how open they are to saying, you know, Oh, you don't have to necessarily believe this or this or that, because I think it really does come t- to a lot more of intuition and under just kind of having following your own, spiritual um i guess third eye of, of what you know is is correct for at least you in your life and and how you can put the best in the world through your works and not just be doing it out of fear or paranoia yeah exactly chance i it's like um you know there's the term blood theology and a lot a lot of christians um their Christianity is based in blood theology. Jesus had to die for our sins. Um, there is an alternative theology, the theology of love, that 
um, that Jesus practiced and preached love, and it's a love theology. So when you're talking about a blood theology that demands the sacrifice, um, there's always going to be like that violent part of it, that fear-based part of it, versus coming at it from the theology of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess when I talk about intuition, that's what I'm referencing is is more of that coming at it from a place of love instead of, you know, obedience or authority. Yeah. And I, I guess that's what was the biggest changer for me when I was going from the Christianity that I knew to, uh, to where I am now. Um, just more of a humanist, more of a, <clears throat> more, more of that kind of thing is, is it always just felt so fearful. And, you know, I was always told, you know, you need to fear God. And, was, and that, whenever I heard that, that always kind of struck me like, well, God's the father. I don't fear my dad, but I love my dad. And I listen to him, you know, why do I have to fear God like that? What is, Why? Because when when all else fails, you'll do something because you're afraid of it. Right. Yep. Yeah. And and I get. Go ahead, Chris. That's it. I I feel like I would be remiss if I were not to play devil's advocate a little bit. Oh, literally. As far as exactly the the registered Satanist (laughs) is playing devil's advocate. Listen up, folks. So and and I'm not I'm not attacking you, Froggy, but the just the the ideology and and I I do see the lessons and the the teachings that jesus had that were positive and and if you apply them to your life you can live a happy life the problem i have with the the bible as a text when you were talking about the the blood theology is just the fact that it's just in the old testament it's kind of set forth like that's what it's going to be like adam and eve get kicked out of the garden and what is god do apparently he kills something and gives them fur to cover themselves right so it starts there and then it goes to um you know abraham having to kill his son but then he doesn't have to and you just see these blood sacrifices throughout and it's constantly this theme and so in the christianity that i was brought up in it was you have to have the covering of blood in order to be saved because that's just the way the whole sacrifice thing was was set up and and i don't argue against jesus's teachings in the new testament but but even i mean i did have one uh one verse um like how do you reconcile uh it's first timothy uh 2 12 uh i do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man she must be silent and this is to put the verse in context it's he's telling them how women should behave in church and so just like how do you reconcile or how does your wife reconcile that with uh with the even the new testament teachings yeah well i mean again she would have to speak for herself but timothy was um written by paul right i believe so so, so it wasn't necessarily yeah sure right teaching. it's paul yeah, wasn't necessarily a teaching of of Jesus. So, um, so I would I would look at that, and I I think of both the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament, the 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 Old Testament and the New Testament, um, as um, you know, as stories and um, 
myths and maybe, uh, you know, equal to the Iliad and the Odyssey or the Epic of Gilgamesh. They are these wonderful stories we can learn from. But, um, you know, for example, like up until the mid 1800s, did you know, um, you know, doctors didn't um, give women anything uh, for pain during childbirth because the Bible says in pain, you will bring forth your children. Yes. So I, I, mean, I was unaware of that, but I do. I'm a, familiar with the verse. But I was unaware of that. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so, I mean, are you going to base your medical practice on the Bible now? No, I'm not going to do that. So, you know, why would we do that? Let's see it for what it is as this rich resource of stories. And um, I, I guess like when you make that point and when Chris gave that example, like how can we not question that the Bible was or wasn't divine inspiration. I mean, I I can see it maybe being inspired, you know, because you're moved in a certain way, but Mm -hmm. to, to, for us to literally think that God is writing through these people or speaking through these people when I, I don't think God would make such a shallow or egregious error is to say that women shouldn't have anesthesia when they're going through childbirth or the women need to know their place when they're in church. Like, I, or when God, uh, God, when Ricky said that about a uh, fearing God, like we is in the Bible, there are so many flawed human characteristics that we ascribe to God that who is otherwise described as this perfect being that is just so beyond our comprehension. But yet he's jealous, he's angry, he's wrathful, he's vengeful, he's he is to be feared like this. These to me are, are flawed human traits, not the traits of an astronomically unfathomable being that we've just boiled down to a book. From, from my perspective, Froggy, I just wanted to let you know, I thought uh, like you answered that question very logically for me, which is uh, Jesus didn't say that. Right. And, and so you do, you have these, you know, the gospels and in the parts where Jesus speaks and there are so many things that that I feel like are carried out in the name of Christianity that uh, if you want to uh, be a Christian and follow the teachings of Christ, like I like I, I I don't think that there's anything negative about that. But just like you said, even in some of the later text, when it starts talking about women sh- shouldn't have places of authority and they should be silent and they should keep their heads covered in church and all of these things, which are still in the New Testament, I mean, you rightfully point out from a logical standpoint that Jesus never said any of those things. And I kind of just wish more Christians would stop and say, well, what did Jesus actually say? And and kind of base their lives more off of that than what their beliefs are in Old Testament stories and things of that nature. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's interesting I mean, that Jesus only was a star in three of the, I think it's nine <laughs> or seven books of the Bible. So, you know, it's one of those things that's just like, come on, guys. Uh, it's pretty obvious that everything that we have right now was either A, changed at some point, or B, is flawed somehow for directly inheriting those teachings from Jesus. Right, Ricky. And there was no, I mean, there was no scribe there taking down the words of Jesus. You know, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written uh, anywhere from 70 to, I think, 250 years after the death of Jesus. 
Yes. Yes. So, and the same, you know, the Buddha did not write anything down. It's all of the sutras of the Buddha start with, I heard this one time in the grove at, you know, wherever they give a location in India. So, um, so I think it's really interesting. Um, you know, like, like one, one way I kind of, um, come to a conclusion in my head is, um, you know, with new writings about Buddhist teachings, as well as with new writings about Christian teachings, I always like to look at like, um, if people are like, oh, cool, look, someone reinterpreted, you know, the Gospel of John, uh, John Shelby Spong did, oh, cool, let's look at, let's look at his new interpretation of this for the modern day. I mean, that's much more common, um, I think, in the world, in, a, in, a, in Buddhist circles. Um, you're more likely to hear, oh, wow, Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, reinterpreted the Diamond Sutra um, attributed to the Buddha. Let's all take a look at that and let's learn and talk about it and discuss it. I mean, wouldn't it be great if all religion was like that? Yeah, absolutely. It would be great if everybody in society could be like right. that. <laughs> well, Christianity you. is like that. It's just unconsciously so. I'll you know, tell they're you always that, uh, coming out with new revisions of the Bible, but they all just say the same thing. I, well, I think that what she's trying to say to an extent is that it's a completely different way of looking at it, a completely different ideology maybe even um, from that aspect because you're never going to – the, the Bible is never going to change from what it is. I mean, you can change a word here and a, a word there, but the overall message doesn't really change with, with anything. Right, right. It's a false face, right? So, like, the the one that sticks out in my mind, and it's pretty old, but one that sticks out in my mind is good news for the modern man. Uh, that version of the Bible says the same things uh, or tries to say the same Just things in a different as context. the King James Version in a modern way. Yeah, yeah they, they try and use more modern wording, vocabulary, right. lingo. Right, right. Uh, one thing that I'll say is a few years back, I was visiting a, my brother in San Francisco and we were uh, in Chinatown for the day and he really wanted to visit a, a Buddhist monastery and we hadn't really even thought about it being Sunday and I guess that that was when they hold their uh, their services. So we go in there and we can hear the congregation, I don't know if you call it a congregation, but you, you can hear the, the people in there um, worshiping or, or doing their chants. And uh, the lady at the front desk, she didn't speak English, but she insisted that we go in, take our shoes off and join. And we were just, we were both like, oh no, no, we just wanted to, you know, take a look. And she's like, no, no, come, come, come. So she, <laughs> you know, she had us come in and we, uh, she, they gave us um, what I would call a hymnal which is what we were like reading or singing from, you know, and it's all in Chinese. We don't know what we're saying, but uh, as soon as it was over, every, we were the only white guys in there and we were like a, a head taller than everybody else. And uh, as soon as it was over again, nobody spoke any English and they were insisting that we go into the dining area where everybody had brought a potluck dish and, and to dine with them for lunch and I remember thinking, and I remember telling him, I'm like, I feel like this is what church is supposed to feel like, but I've never gone to church and have it feel this inviting and this, this, um, welcoming and insisting that you are, you know, partaking in this and just, 
I don't know, just so uh, just so warm and non-judgmental too. What a rich experience! Yeah, it was amazing. I was going to say, Chance, I'm surprised they didn't feed you, but of course they. Oh did. no, they did. Yeah, yeah, that absolutely is the way. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I think it's it's really interesting too. One of the one of the main a lot of people that study Buddhism will tell you that um, you know it, it's written in the Buddhist scriptures that that the Buddhist said, "Try this on, see how it fits you." You know, keep okay. what fits. Yeah, discard what doesn't. I like that. I like that. Yeah, it's not an all or nothing sort of thing. Right. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I, I, I did want to remark, too, on Chris mentioning that you are in the Fort Worth area. Like, And I absolutely agree with what he was saying, that it's one thing to be in San Francisco and to be out and progressive and, and loud and proud and everything. But it's you're not changing any minds, really, when you're in that sort of environment. So um, while it may be more restrictive or more i don't want to say oppressive but maybe it's it's certainly um more of a maybe challenge that your guys's views and perspectives conflict with the people around you and your neighbor across the street like that's such such more of an opportunity to to influence people than just to be in a in an area where everybody around you agrees with with you and everything that you say and i guess that was always my my uh sort of criticism against like college kids who came straight from high school into college and thought that they were being so rebellious. It's like, no, you're on a college campus where everybody is also rebelling for the sake of rebelling, you know? <laughs> so like go to a military base and, and then try to like change minds there and it'll be a lot more difficult. So yeah, I definitely admire that you guys are, are in that, in that position. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's honestly, there's a lot of good people here. I mean, after all, it, it, like I said before, it is a church, you know, that called us that kind of knew what they were getting into with us. So they really wanted to make a statement, too. And that that's the congregation of, of this church. So, yeah. well, I'm just I'm great, grateful that you got that your church exists for especially young people that are coming out and they still want to practice Christianity, but they may not feel um welcome to do so so that's that's great that that you all ha provide that space sorry chris go ahead i was just gonna say um you know we've kind of we all have experienced what the past four years were like with uh trump as our president and and what happened on january 6th i feel like that wasn't that long ago and nobody really talks about it anymore uh to me it is a bit scary to be at the forefront to of disagreeing maybe with a lot of the ideologies that that whole movement kind of has. And you're kind of in the middle of, uh, you know, that Trump type. I, I think a lot of people think of Texas as a, a very big Trump supporting state. And, and so to me, you have a lot of people with that, that mindset. D does that ever scare you? I mean, especially with the prevalence of, of armed citizens down there and and things of that nature like does that ever like worry you like somebody make a statement at you know your church because your wife is the pastor there and she's a lesbian minister yeah for sure that's that's a concern and um you know since we have we still have not gone back to face-to-face -to -face, uh church services yet but we have 
um, a safety committee and, you know, guys on, on walkie talkies and, and stuff um, when we do meet and, um, and a whole plan for that. So, you know, I think that's just being uh, smart in that sense. Um, but I don't, you know, like when we go to the store. Well, what a shitty thing to have to be smart about. Yeah. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, but it's, for me, you know, there's the eightfold path of Buddhism. So that's right diligence. You um, you have to stick with stuff, even when stuff is hard. There's that path of right diligence that that will lead to an end of suffering. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I believe anybody that's kind of been in that, that place in history, that right time and place in history, we kind of discussed this before the before we actually started recording, but the, we we put a face to the civil rights movement when they started recording what happened to the peaceful protesters down in Alabama, and for the first time we get to see that, and uh, it kind of woke the American public up. And I feel like George Floyd kind of did uh, the same thing for pushing uh, police brutality and, and getting that to the, the forefront. And unfortunately, I, I feel like it is those people, uh, it, it takes that negative thing happening to get thrust into the spotlight for something to happen. Just like we're just now, uh, you know, seeing the the shakeout from Asian Americans and, and the damage that was done to them after the COVID thing. Like I had no idea about that. And all of a sudden we have laws about it because that's become an issue. Uh, so unfortunately it's, it's, that's what happens is you're putting yourself in that place. But I, I, I feel like there's no better place to, to really change hearts and minds or really get, let them see, um, truly what it is than being in a place like that, even though you have to live through that fear of, what if somebody wants to make an example of us because of our lifestyle? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, and it's not, I mean, you're right. Texas is red and our governor, I think is trying to be the next uh, conservative of the conservatives, you know, Greg Abbott. But um, when, when Leanne and I lived in Rochester, New York, we, um, we went to Albany in support of marriage equality when it was still, you know, state by state there, marriage equality for LGBTQIA folks. And um, I'll tell you, New York rednecks can be just as scary as Texas rednecks. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, see, I have, I have no doubt that rednecks everywhere in this country are just as bad as rednecks anywhere else. Yeah, well, it's New York is not what you think. Like the rest of New York is very rural. And when people right. think of New York, they think New York City. My my wife's family is from up there, so yeah, it's it is very conservative. People don't realize it is a huge state yeah, as sure. far as right. mass wise, and it's not. It's one very populated area around New York, and mm-hmm. then a lot of people that don't agree with the way they live there. Yeah, yeah that's true. Well, um, one thing I was just gonna, I guess, plug as well as let you know about Froggy for our next discussion is. Um, Next week, I'm planning on speaking to a childhood friend of mine as well as her husband. Uh, he is a, a Lutheran minister and leads a congregation in Washington. And their their middle child is trans and their oldest is bisexual. So it's going to be interesting to talk to them. I want to talk about like how, how, you know, what kind of challenges they've faced within their congregation or what kind of support they've 
they've they've had and and also welcoming people in the church that that may be you know um have an alternative lifestyle or whatever so i hope you can take uh take a listen to that as well yeah i'm a subscriber now chance so oh, yeah great. excellent <laughs> That's we cool. can put her yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you guys have Bobby, i also i also wanted to ask too what significance this month has for you and if there is a gay pride event in Fort Worth and if you guys are a part of that. Um, you know, okay, so this is pretty funny. Since it is hotter than hell here, they put off Pride until October. <laughs> oh. That's so that's so awesome though. I mean, like let's let's keep it cooler for everyone. Like right. It. Right. So uh, definitely like, oh, pride was so important when I first came out in the 90s to and when I lived um, in Broomfield, Colorado, to go down to Denver and to just like have my community. I mean, really, it, it was another form of Sangha. Right. Like I was talking about having a Buddhist community is so important. Well, having your LGBTQIA community is super important, too. Um and, you know, especially then it was, it was, y'all, y'all know you were alive then. It was very different in the nineties than it is today. And, um, I just, I feel so hopeful about things like your show next week. I just, it just warms my heart to hear that, you know, um, this family is embracing their trans child or their Absolutely. bisexual child or their pansexual child or their gray sexual child or whatever it is. I just think that, that is just so think where we've come me a little girl growing up in Iowa in the 60s and 70s that didn't have a word for what I was yeah to yeah, where we are now right. yeah well and I don't want to speak on their behalf but I it definitely they strike me as the type of parents that if it came down to it they would leave the church if if they weren't welcome anymore and and they would do whatever it took to make sure that their their children came first and were supported and were taken care of and I don't think it's come to that and that hasn't been the case, but that's just, just like with what you're saying, like that's where we progress to is, is, you know, being supportive in that way and, and kind of sacrificing everything because you want to make sure that your children are, are come first and, and feel loved and supported. Yeah, I think that's awesome. We'll send them to our church if they get tired of theirs. Right. We'll take them. I will do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Froggy, cool. thanks thanks for coming on and, and talking with us. I think it's, um, while I am uh, a bit militant right now against Christianity, I, I do think that it's amazing um, that there are, to me, to me, like, this is punk journalism. And, mm -hmm. and, and my definition of punk is somebody that's questioning the status quo and somebody that's pushing uh, back against an agenda that, that harms uh any segment of the population and i feel like uh your wife uh is very punk in being a lesbian christian minister uh in fort worth texas and i think you guys are punk for being down there and, and being literally in an area where people are pretty close-minded to your lifestyle and just being in that community and changing minds just by you know, humanizing it and, and putting a face to it and being the wonderful person that we obviously uh, can tell that you are. So, so thank you. Uh, thank you. We will continue to push with compassion 
and kindness and gentleness. And that's the point. Push with passion or compassion and love. I think that's if it comes from a place of empathy, that that's all you need is empathy. All right. Well, yeah. thanks again. Thank you, guys. Yeah, bye all bye. you need is punk. Love you, Frog. <laughs> hey, I love you, Rickster. Take care. Good talk to you. Bye. Bye-bye.